So welcome again to Impact Church. My name is uh, Michelle Hendrickson. I'm pastor of Karen Outreach here at Impact Church. If you notice, I'm not Eric. There are some differences about us. If you can't see that physically, I'm much prettier, right? Uh, and then some other differences would be our preaching style. So I'm going to warn you now. Eric does this really great thing with um, numbered points and organization and flow. Um, and mine's a little bit like what you see at the bottom there. I'm a storyteller, and things are just going to be a little bit different. We're going to go down a rabbit hole of stories today, okay? You with me? So let's talk about family. And in our series, Family Dysfunction, so far we've talked about marriage, we've talked about parenting, and today we're going to talk about family. We're getting ready for Thanksgiving, so I thought I'd share a little bit about my family. Um, I was an, I am a, I'm an only child, and so my family was quite small. My family was me and my parents, right? And so everything we did at all times, me and my parents. Vacation, me and my parents. Car rides, me and my parents. Uh, hanging out on a weekend, just me and my parents. And so anything I ever did, ever, small, tiny little family, it was very quiet. I enjoy the quiet. I consider myself a very introverted, independent person, and I learned how to play by myself, and I was fine with that. Um, I have two kids now, and it's loud, <laughs> and there's sibling rivalry, and there's fighting. There's so much fighting. Uh, you guys know my kids, Joel and Lucy. Joel is seven, Lucy is four, and there's a gender difference, there's an age difference, and it's just a, a, so new to me. I don't understand this world where everything has to be dramatic about everything. By breakfast, they are both in timeout over a green spoon. Guaranteed. And now I have like five green spoons, but it's who gets the green spoon. I wanted the green spoon. My favorite color is green. I just changed my mind. My favorite color is green. And I don't get it because as a kid, I had all the green spoons to myself. It's true. Only children are spoiled. I never learned to share. I didn't need to share. I had all the things. I had all the spoons. It was just a peaceful time. And so for much of the year, my family was really small. But um, once a month, we drove five hours to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Go Steelers, anybody? Got it again. All right, I knew that would go. Thought we got one wave in the back, and she's already ashamed. She put that right down. Uh, all right, so my family, if we've got that picture, pretty much populated western Pennsylvania. So we've got Pittsburgh, Butler, Newcastle, Greenville, you name it. There's an Italian there. I'm probably related to them. Uh, we just really monopolized that uh, region of Pennsylvania. I guess somebody settled there a while ago. Uh, so this is my family back in the day. I know I'm not in this picture. I'm not that old. Uh, but my grandmother is the one all the way to the right in the dark shirt, and she's still with us today. And then uh, above her is my grandfather. He did pass a couple of years ago. And then in the middle, older gentleman with the girl on his lap there. It's my great-grandfather, and they were the first generation here. Took the boat over and settled. Don't know why they picked Newcastle, Pennsylvania, but they did, and I'm thankful for it, uh, because then down, and he'll kill me, but he's not in church today. So that's my dad at the bottom corner with a white 70s belt, right? So it was just an amazing time of family once a month when we would make that drive, especially for holidays, right? Uh, and if you know, if you are Italian or if you have friends uh, who are Italian, food's a big deal in our family. Uh, there is always food no matter what time of day it is. We would get in from a trip at midnight and there would be something cooking or, hey, he just finished making bread. Do you want some? No, we've already had dinner. Okay, so you want your second dinner. Here you go. I remember the year we broke the news that we were vegetarians. <laughs> it was Christmas. 
and all the things have been cooked. We, I think we had made the decision for about a week. Uh, and so we said, guys, we just want to let you know. And we brought our own food. You don't have to worry about us. But we made the decision that we're going to be vegetarians. We're not going to eat meat. My grandmother said, it's okay, I'll make chicken. <laughs> Grandma, that's not what that means. Uh, and Frank caved. He ate all the meat that week. He, like, he had so much pressure. He's like, I'll just try again next week. I can't do this to your family. Immediately caved. Uh, and then so everybody kind of came to our house for Thanksgiving too. Last story about my family. My grandmother, a little ingenious old lady. Uh, so we had so many people one year. The dining room table was filled. We had this whole bar stool thing at their house. That was filled. We had two card tables filled. And there were more people coming. So she unhinged my door to my room. And she put that across three other tables and then put a tablecloth over it. And nobody else knew, were the wiser. Like we had so many people. It was amazing. And it was such a high for me as a kid to walk into that hustle and bustle and all these people and that family. And it was just warm and awesome. Uh, and then the week would go on, because we would spend a week there. It became a very long week. And gradually, these you know, different personality traits about our family kind of start coming out. And some old pet peeves, like, oh, yeah, he always does say things that way, or she really is like that sometimes, or how much has he had? Like, all the things kind of just start coming out. And I realized why my parents moved five hours away. It got <laughs> dramatic very quickly. And that's true of all of us. We've all got that family, right? The weird cousin, the overdramatic sibling. And if we're here thinking, racking our brains with, well, I can't really figure out who that person is in my family. Well, it could be you. I'm just, no, no. We're all perfect here, and we're just, you know, here talking about those other people that we'll see at Thanksgiving. So what do we do when our family is complicated? Does the Bible have complicated families that we can look to for some advice? Uh, what happens when relationships go south? In, in a place, in, in a family group where your family is your blood, your family, you know, they're supposed to have your back. They're supposed to be there to support you, and all of a sudden, holidays and getting together, it's more of an obligation than it is a joy. Are there any families like that where they secretly just kind of hate each other? Like, man, these guys get on my nerves. I guess I'll check off the box for Thanksgiving, but I'm going right home. Uh, well, there are lots of families and dysfunctional families in the Bible, all over the Bible. Uh, if you've been in church world for two seconds, you've kind of learned that. And if you've avoided digging into your Bible, maybe out of thinking that there are only perfect families. Well, I'm here to let you know that that, that is not true. We've got some fun to explore today. And what we're going to look at is going to make keeping up with the Kardashians look like Sesame Street. And I can say that because I watched five minutes of it the other day, of, of keeping up with the Kardashians. I watched five minutes of it. And that is five minutes I will never get back. It was not an intentional, I clicked the button. It just came on. You know, when you're done a thing and then Netflix says, I bet you like this thing. I'll guess again. <laughs> and the whole time I'm watching it like, I know somebody who watches this. Maybe it's not that bad. No. I need to, I need to find the remote. <laughs> like, click. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't try it. Don't try it. I mean, if you watch it, that's fine. But don't try it. Okay, so somehow, some way, I'm going to get us through about three quarters of Genesis today and about three generations of family drama. So we're going to buckle up and we're going to start in Genesis 15 with Abraham. Do we have Abraham up on the... Sweet. 
The screen's about to get filled pretty quickly, and we're going to look at a very exciting family tree. So we're going to start with Abraham, who was originally called Abram, and later God changed his name to Abraham. And he was promised that he and his wife Sarai, at the time her name gets changed to Sarah, that he and Sarah uh, would make a great nation. And remember, the problem here is Sarah is barren and she can't have children. And we've said this in a couple messages before, having children was a really big deal in culture back then. And it's still, when women struggle with infertility now, it hurts to know that you can't bear children. And then back then, that's really all women had, right? And so this is a painful thing for Sarah, and she just feels this weight. And she doesn't believe in God's promise. She doesn't believe in God's promise that, that he will make them into a great nation. So, so despite this promise that they're given, uh, maybe it's out of impatience or she wants to just kind of control the situation. What does she do? Some of you know what she does. She says, I have an idea. Sleep with my servant, Hagar. My goodness. Okay, yep, no IVF clinics, no fertility clinics. If they want to have a baby, it means that Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Guys, you're going to have to not shoot the messenger on this one today, okay? Like, I'm just repeating the facts. So, uh, yeah, that happens. And in Genesis, six, Genesis 16, we learn that Abraham sleeps with Hagar, and she gets pregnant with, some of you guys know this. It'll be fun. Come on, call it out. Ishmael, you guys know your Bible. Awesome. So she gets pregnant with Ishmael. Awesome. So we have Ishmael. Genesis 17, God reminds Abram, remember, I promised you a son with Sarah. And so Sarah says, yeah, okay. But then Genesis 18, after he promises the son, oh, sorry, Genesis 21, Isaac is born. So now we've got Isaac on the scene, the famous duo, Abraham and Isaac. I preached a message on these guys back in July. This is that son that Abraham just, oh, he truly loves him, truly values him so much. He is number one in his eyes. And this is the son that uh, later God would call Abraham to sacrifice. I mean, that was a really dark father-son bonding moment three days on that mountain. And so if you want to hear that message, uh, that's called The Lord Provides. I gave that back in July. So I just want to pause here for this first generation and really look into this. And those family dinner, maybe, like that might have been a little awkward. I think sometimes we read stories like this and we put our 2019 view of family into it. And I think in some ways there are parallels and we can do that in some ways. Um, you know, it's just the culture back then. But I, I do kind of imagine what that must have been like, the difference there between how much Abraham loved Isaac, you know, and that's the promised son. And I kind of imagine him taking the family, you know, down, yeah, down the river a couple tents away, like having that family dinner and seeing people after a long time. And, hey, come on, family, we're going to go have this family dinner. All right, and they go down and they do that. And they see the family. Hey, it's been a while. What's it been, like five years let me introduce you to everybody. This is my wife, Sarah, <clears throat> new name just this year. Oh, also, I'm Abraham now. And here's our newborn son, Isaac. Yeah, he's not sleeping through the night yet, but just look at him. He's real strong. He'll grip your finger. Give him your finger. Yep, he's just... I. Oh, and this is Hagar, uh, <clears throat> and my other son, Ishmael. But give, isn't he strong there? And this grip, like, oh my goodness, he's going to be great. He's going to be a great nation. Like, it was that dramatic between them. That dynamic was so stressful. Scripture says that Sarah and Hagar, there was tension there and that the boys were fighting. So Sarah kicks Hagar and Ishmael out, kicks them out of the family. So I know that 
We do want to put our feelings in scripture sometimes, and it's either there or not there, but scripture says it's there. And it was so tense, she kicks them out. So uh, Genesis, where am I? Oh, wait, he gets another wife, doesn't he? Yep, mm -hmm, I knew it. So we're just going to slap that on there. Also, Abraham gets another wife, has a lot of kids. So Genesis 24, Abraham sent his servant to get a wife for Isaac. So Isaac is grown now. Uh, it's time for him to get married, and I love how the text just says that. He sends his servant to go get a wife. Like, could you go pick one up? Uh, Sarah, do you need anything? Bread, milk, eggs, and a wife. All right, you got that servant? We're going to get bread, milk, eggs. What about the bread with the crunchy thing? on the Okay, bread, milk, eggs, that special bread that I like, and a wife for my son Isaac, if you could get one of those. And then he does. He comes back with Rebecca. So I think we have Rebecca next. Awesome. So now he's returned with the lovely Rebecca, and we have wrapped up first generation, and we're going to move on to the second generation. See, I've got us going here. We're getting a nice flow of this. Uh, and that first generation drama, that was nothing. Just get ready for Isaac and Rebecca and what's about to come out here. So Genesis 25 tells us that Rebecca also could not have children. We've already talked about that extremely pressure situation there. So Isaac prays over Rebecca, and she is able to become pregnant with twins. She's got twins. How glorious, how wonderful. You guys kind of know this story already, and you're like, I don't know. So I love this next scripture that describes the twins in her womb. She gets pregnant with Jacob and Esau, and I use this uh, in my pro-life messages because it shows personality in the womb. Check this out. Uh, chapter 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So they're wrestling in her womb and she's saying, what's going on? And it turns out that the younger will serve the older. And what do we know about that firstborn son? It's all about the firstborn son. They get the inheritance, and they're like the big deal. But God's promise is that the younger will actually serve the older. So we've got Esau born first, and he is entitled to the inheritance. Inheritance, And then we've got Jacob born second, and Scripture says he's coming out grabbing Esau's heel. Like they're fighting so much, and he's coming out clinging on to his heel like, I'm still going to get you. Uh, and so... This is where we've got some really intense family dysfunction that I think will relate to some things that kind of happen in our family sometimes. So I'm going to read this one to you. Uh, it says, Genesis 25, verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So we see different personalities. Remember I said I had two kids? I have two kids. I always do that. I have two kids, and their personalities are so different. If you've seen them for a minute, you'll see that uh, Lucy is just this vibrant, and she'll sing all the songs, and she'll do all the dances, and she's just young and has all the joy and all the things. And then we'll say, Joel, do you want to join in? Not going to happen. He'll say it just like that. He could be, some people, you know my kids, you're like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm sorry. I don't know where he gets it from. Uh, but he just, no, nope, not going to happen. I'm not doing that. We've got different personalities with these siblings. So we've got Esau, who's this like burly hunter guy, and he's going to go out and kill all the things and then cook them. And then we've got Jacob, who would rather stay inside. He'd like to be back at the tents, not much of an explorer. That's okay. But here's the family dysfunction. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. 
but Rebecca loved Jacob. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. Like, yikes, could you imagine if it were ever written down, Joel, or, sorry, Frank loved Joel, Michelle loved Lucy. I mean, some days we might switch it up, right? Like, I don't know. But like, ah, and, and even parents in the room, if you are a parent of more than one kid or if you're a sibling, right, you've got a brother or sister, that's kind of playing in your head right now. And you're like, yeah, I kind of deal with that in my family a little bit. Mom likes you best. Well, you got the new car and I had to get a used car. And we got some people like, hey, man, exactly. Well, how come, you know, she treated you this way or she didn't get me that? And parents. Parents sometimes were guilty of that, especially parents of older kids. And they've had some time to make different decisions. Maybe one kid let you down more. Maybe one kid shows up for things more. Maybe one kid remembers your birthday. Thank God I don't have a sibling. I have forgotten each of my parents' birthdays more than once. I now have reminders in my calendar that go off like a week before three days before a day of, you know, I'm very glad I'm an only child. I don't know if I could stand the competition. That's a real family dysfunction that plagues a lot of families, right? And so we see that breakdown. uh, We see that going on uh, in the family. And I I wouldn't recommend that as a parenting skill there. And if you want to learn more about parenting, Eric gave that message last week. Very impactful message. So we've got Rebecca and Isaac, um, terrible parenting. And again, Eric's sermon is very uh, numbered points and organized. So we're going to dive back down the rabbit hole here. And Genesis 25 says that Esau was out hunting one day for so long that he actually didn't eat somehow and was so hungry that he comes back to camp and Jacob's there cooking stew. And he's so hungry that he makes a deal with Jacob to give up his birthright for a bowl of soup. He's that hungry that he's going to trade up part of that inheritance for a bowl of soup. So Jacob tricks him into that. Now the only thing left for Esau for his inheritance is this kind of final blessing. There is like a part two of his inheritance that he still has left. And I always wonder, like, why did he settle for the soup? I don't really understand. You know, could could you not find anything? (laughs) You're a hunter and a gatherer. There weren't some berries or mushrooms you've identified or... But that's beside the point. So he still has this kind of part two of his inheritance, the final blessing. But we learn in Genesis 27 that when it is time for the blessing, when Isaac tells Esau, I'm on my deathbed, I'm old, I'm frail, I can't see anymore, it's time for me, so I'm going to give you my blessing. It is time now. I want you to go out and I want you to hunt something, uh, get some wild game, cook it just the way I like it. We'll kind of have a dinner transaction here, and I will give you my final blessing. It is time. So Esau's so excited, and he goes out, and he does the things, and he hunts and kills all the animals. Uh, And then Jacob and Rebekah know what's going on. And so in Genesis 27, Rebekah helps Jacob trick old, dying, blind Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing instead. Guys, they go to the extreme. They dress Jacob up in all of Esau's clothes so that he'll smell like him. Rebecca says, I know exactly what kind of meal he wants. Let me cook it. I can cook it just like how as, as if Esau cooked it. So she does that. And then they even get goat skins and cover Jacob's arms in goat skin so that his, his arms will be as hairy as Esau's. 
Like, how bad are your arms? <laughs> like, the goat skins would suffice that he'd touch that and say, yep, that's my son. Like, that makes sense. Ugh. So he's dressed up, and it works. He goes into Isaac's tent, and Isaac gives that final blessing. He speaks over him a world of promise and prosperity and servants and all the things, and that he'll be this great nation. He'll be this great leader. He's giving that blessing over Jacob instead of Esau. And so that happens, that works, and Jacob leaves, and Esau comes in the tent with the dinner. I'm so ready for my blessing. And then this moment of Isaac, if you're here, then who was that? And they both realize what had just happened, how they had been betrayed, and Esau's begging him, you got to have another blessing back there. Can you please check? Like, is there a second one? Is there, is there anything left? You couldn't have possibly, why do I keep doing it? You couldn't have possibly given him everything, right? Um, and unfortunately, there is nothing left. And can you imagine, Esau is livid. He says in uh, verse 41, Esau had a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning my father are near, and then I will kill my brother. He's ready to kill him. Esau held a grudge. How much is that true for us and people in our family? Have you all ever held a grudge? Has anybody ever wronged you that deeply? I think we're definitely guilty of that in our families because family, they know you better than anyone. They know how to deceive you. They know how to trick you. They know how to say words that will cut you down in a way that just your regular old friends, they couldn't. It's family, family that gets you. It's hard to read this story with the blessing and not kind of equate it to something in our world so that we can understand it. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to equate this blessing here because we might not understand, you know, we might be the, the oldest born or the only child. We don't have necessarily a blessing from our parents. So I'm going to equate it to money. We all understand money, right? I'll take some of that. So money. Let's imagine this blessing is like $10 million. It's a made-up story. $10 trillion. We've got $10 trillion on the line. A check with your name on it. And your dad's ready to give it to you. All right, I've got this check. It's your inheritance, $10 trillion. All you got to do is make me a meal. We'll have a little dinner transaction, uh, and then I'll give it to you. And then you go out to get the dinner, and your younger sibling, with the help of your mom, tricks your dad into giving that $200 trillion check to your sibling instead. I think we'd be a little upset if we walked away with no trillion dollars that your sibling walked away with that instead. I think that we might... Hold a grudge over that. We might be upset. And, and that's how some of our grudges feel. It feels like somebody took a $400 trillion check from us, and now we're left with nothing. We had all these plans. Maybe we already had spent the money. And it's not even just the theft of it. It's that intentional planning and deceit. And sometimes in families, it, grows, it goes deeper than that, that somebody thought about how to wrong you. They thought, I know how to get them. And to know that somebody thought about you that way, that, that hurts. How do you come back from that? How do you say pass the potatoes after that, right? Like how do, you, how do you function in a family when you've been that hurt? Because maybe you've been the Esau and you just feel like you, you don't want to bother with this person anymore. You don't want to bother with that side of the family anymore. But for some of us in the room, 
Maybe we're as scared and ashamed as Jacob. We know we did the wrong. We know we shouldn't have said that. Oh, I shouldn't have. Uh, they caught me. You know, I said something in a message about somebody else, and they learned that I said the thing, and now, now I just can't face them. So let's see what Jacob does next in verse 42. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she said to her younger son Jacob and said to him, uh, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him there for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So good old mom coming to the rescue saying, I know a guy, I've got a brother, and you can go run out to his place. So Jacob flees, he escapes, and that's true for a lot of us. When we don't want to face something in a family, we just stop showing up. We don't pick up that phone. We miss a few holidays. We don't go to things because it's difficult to face them. So I'm going to wrap up the second generation, and I'm going to fly through this family tree real quick to catch you up to what do we do now? And if you've never watched your five-minute curiosity of keeping up with the Kardashians, this next part's going to be a little intense. You may not be mentally prepared, but we're, again, you're not going to shoot the messenger today. Um, so Jacob runs off to find his uncle Laban, cute, uh, to find his uncle Laban, where he meets the lovely Rachel. And the text said Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, also she had this older sister, Leah. And the text said, she had weak eyes. That's it. That's all she gets. You, your, your description is put down in the Bible and passed on from generations and generations. And all we got on Leah is she has weak eyes. Poor girl. We feel for Leah, right? Uh, so he's in love with Rachel, though. And just to really extra clarify, uh, Laban is Jacob's uncle, which in our family tree here, his daughter is Rachel, which makes Rachel his... Ooh, that felt a little funny coming out, didn't it? Ooh, yeah, that's what we got going on here. Uh, so he wheels a deal with Laban and says, if I work for you for seven years, I would like Rachel as my bride. Deal's done, that works out. Okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna have Jacob work for me for seven years, and he does, and they do, except not quite, because on the wedding night, uh, Laban does this thing where he switches Rachel with Leah. And Jacob doesn't notice until after the honeymoon meeting. Yep. Uh, and so, whoopsie-doo, oh, come daylight time, you're not Rachel. <laughs> no play, a weak eyes girl. Uh, and so feeling a little wronged here, feeling a little betrayed, and he's upset, and he goes to Laban, are you kidding me? I worked for you for seven years, and you gave me weak eyes girl. I asked for a beautiful figure girl. And so Laban says, um, you know, the thing is, Leah's older, so really she should have gotten married first, but I'll give you another deal. You work for me seven more years, I'll give you Rachel. And so that's what happens. He works for him another seven years, and he finally gets Rachel. Uh, oh, my goodness. So we're going to go through this very quickly. Uh, and in my notes, it's just titled Baby Mama Drama. So I'll see if I get through this with you. Uh, so again, like generations before her, it turns out Rachel cannot have children, but Leah, guess what? She can have a bunch. So Leah has four right away, four children right away. Uh, and then uh, we've got Rachel, kind of same problem as before. I have an idea. I'll do, uh, why don't you take my servant, have some kids with her. Great, two kids there, 
that two, that two, yep. Uh, and then we've got Leia going, I can play that game. Here, take my servant. Boop. And we got two kids there. And then Leia says, oh, yeah, well, guess what? I'm going to have two more kids of my own. Uh, boop, boop. I told you you were going to be fast. Uh, two more kids. Add them up, add them up. Yep. Uh, and then uh, over here, uh, we've got Rachel finally. Okay. And then finally, Rachel has Joseph, right? Okay. So we've made it. Now, there's numbers there for a reason. I'll tell you what those mean in a minute. Um, so we've got our baby mama drama wrapped up, and Rachel finally has Joseph, the beloved son of Jacob. And we've got, uh, you know, he's real down in the line there. He's pretty young. Uh, and, you know, but again, Jacob loves that younger son because it's with his beloved, beloved Rachel. So uh, Genesis 31 says that at this point in Jacob's life, he's grown so powerful and he has obtained so many things. He's extremely wealthy. Uh, he's got a ton of servants and animals and things. He's made some enemies and God calls him to go back home to Esau. And that's the message. You don't go against God's word. But what do you think Jacob's thinking? I can't face him. But Jacob's a problem solver. He's got this figured out. I know, I know. I'll send my servants ahead of me. I'll send a bunch of messengers and servants ahead of me, and I'll, I'll give Esau some presents. I'm going to give him animals and, and his own servants. I'm just going to give him whatever the 1900 BC version of gift baskets are. And he gets all the gift baskets, and he just kind of softens the blow a little bit before he goes home. And so he sends a messenger saying, um, uh, hey, Esau, Jacob's on his way, but also here's these gifts. And then the messenger goes back to Jacob and says, hey, Jacob, Esau got your message, and uh, he's coming this way toward you. Scripture says Jacob is terrified, and he's still trying to problem solve. He can still control the situation. He divides his family into two camps. His thinking is that if Esau gets upset enough and tries to wipe him out and kill somebody, maybe he'll be tricked enough that he'll only kill one of the camps of family. So, so I'll take some of us over here and I'll take some of us over there. Um, and he thinks he's got it all figured out. At least he'll only kill half of us. And it says that Esau approaches with 400 men. And then there's this moment where they see each other after years and years. I'm going to read you this moment. Get ready. Genesis 31, chapter 1, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. Okay, kids, go with your moms. He put the female servants and the children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. You kind of see who he's protecting the most. Uh, and then he himself went on ahead, bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Please don't, please don't. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Wow, how was it just that easy for Esau? It's like nothing had happened. He had let it all go, and they're embracing with a hug and a kiss somewhere along the way. And it doesn't tell us how the next generation will, though. Esau learned a really important lesson. I think we have a quote next. Maybe. Esau learned a really important lesson. If you don't heal what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. If you don't heal what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. See, we, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to everyone around us to heal. 
to heal, to, to move on from these things? And, and how was it just that easy for Esau? It's a good message. Now it feels great. But how do we actually achieve that? The third generation is going to show us that. So I'm going to speed walk you through that too. Um, so I'm going to go back to our family tree. We're going to throw up the last couple people here. And uh, yeah, because we got Benjamin and Esau did some things, right? Yeah, Esau, he had kids too. I just didn't really have time or space to put that out. Um, so we're going to uh, talk about Joseph. Joseph is the last generation. And what happens to Joseph is going to tell us how it's just that easy to let it go and to embrace and to forgive. So you see, this became the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. We've got the 12 tribes here. And what happens to Joseph? I'm going to give you this homework, and you're going to read about what happens to Joseph, because uh, I'm not going to tell you all the things. There is a, uh, what is it, a cupbearer, a baker, a candlestick maker. One of those is not real, uh, and you will go find that out. Uh, but so we've got Joseph and his 12 brothers. We know that Joseph is the favorite. He's given that colorful coat, right? Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat. And uh, he is special and different and set apart. And all of his brothers get jealous and sell him into slavery in Egypt. A lot of things happen, but he ends up becoming the leader in Egypt. He was sold into slavery, thrown into jail, separated from all the people, but he works his way up, and he becomes a leader in Egypt until one day his brothers need food. They need to trade, and they all come, when they're older, to Egypt. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him, and he has a moment where he's facing these brothers who sold him into slavery, and that gave him this horrible life, and I'll let you go ahead and predict, G, where this is going and what happens next when he sees his brothers. I'm going to read it to you. Chapter 45, verse 3 says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. So just imagine 11 men going, oh my gosh, the kid that we sold into slavery. Never thought I'd see him again. And so verse 4 says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. We have again restoration, forgiveness, and Joseph pointing all credit to God. How is it just that easy for somebody who is so wronged and so betrayed? I think we can all look at our own family trees and kind of check some boxes. Were you all sold into slavery by anybody? Did you get some blessings taken? Were you deceived that deeply? I don't know that we can top this. While we have some crazy families, that's incredible that it was just that easy for Joseph. And these three questions, I'm going to finally give you points. Are you so excited for that? Uh, these three questions are going to help us see why it was so easy for these family members to forgive and to restore. And so the first question, it's like more homework for you, is to ask yourself, how have I managed conflict in my family? How have I managed conflict in my family. I want you to ask this to your spouse when you get home, long drive home or five minute, whatever. Ask this, how have I managed conflict in my family? Do you actually speak up and bring it to light? Do you talk about it? 
I mean, that, that feels difficult here, right? We're already going, no, don't tell me that that's the answer. That can't be the answer. Give me, give me point number two. Let's skip this one. How do you manage that conflict? To be able to say, hey, you know what? It's been a few years, and I know things are awkward between us, and there are some deep things too. What about this one? I know you, you didn't want me to marry into the family, and I know that you, you approached uh, some parents about that or whichever side, but I just wanted you to know that I've let that go, and I'm just so happy to be here, and I'm so happy that, that you're my family. And, or this one, you know, I know, I'm aware uh, that, you know, you've been telling people, you know, some things about my parenting, but I just wanted to let you know I forgive you, and there are no hard feelings about that. Um, you know, are we able to take those really deep, awkward things and just kind of talk about it and to say the words, no hard feelings, we're going to move on. And so this was so easy for Joseph because maybe he had it modeled for him. Can we go back to the family tree? See, in that moment when Esau embraced Jacob, who was there? Who watched it? Joseph watched it. He watched that moment of Esau embracing his father, who was the bad brother. He watched his father get forgiven and welcomed back into the family. See, healthy conflict management, forgiveness, and restoration, it was modeled for him from the generation before. And we can ask ourselves, how do we talk about our family in front of our kids? How do we model it for our next generation? Are we showing them any glimpse of that? See, it was so easy for him because he watched his father receive that from the generation before him. And our last question, why it was so easy for Joseph. Do my actions show that God is first or that I am first? Do my actions show that God is first or that I am first? See, Joseph really lays it out here. God used this for good, and I am able to see everything that God brought from my struggle, my pain, everything that I went to, God used it for good. So I can lay it down now. And I think I can help you answer this question. You may have to do this in your brains if you didn't. Uh, did you pick up a piece of paper and a pencil or one of the pens? If you have your bulletin, I need you to find a blank sheet of paper. And you're going to do this with me. If you didn't get a bulletin, you're going to have to think about it. But yes, I'm making you move. I'm making you shift. Where did I put it? I folded it. I never use that thing. Uh, find the pen. I don't know. I gave the pen to you. Well, pass me the pen. Don't you have a pen in your purse? Okay. You've had that moment. Now, and you're going to draw a circle for me. You're going to draw a circle. And this circle is now a pie chart. It's Thanksgiving time. We're thinking of pie. This is a pie chart representing a conflict. You don't have to label who it is or what they did, because what if somebody saw it? Just this is labeling a conflict you've thought of in your family. Now I want you to draw a little piece of the pie that represents your part in it, however big. What, what piece of the pie is on you? Is it a little sliver? Is it half the pie? Is it all the pie? Like honesty time. Uh, here's what my circle looks like. And this is conflict with me and Frank. Anybody else's pie <laughs> look a little bit like this? Me! <laughs> it's just this. I think this is very telling. However, we think about the conflict. And you know what? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. Maybe 
That whole other space is what the other person did. And maybe you're only part of it because you got grumpy and stormed off and that that's all yours. Well, guess what's the only part that you control? That little part, you're, you're responsible for that. You can only control how you deal with it, how you see it, how you manage that conflict. You can't control the other human beings in the picture. It's not on you to do that. You don't need to wait for them to say, I'm sorry to forgive them. They could be looking at you with that terrified kind of look like all the people in the story were. And you can just say, it's okay. It's okay. I've put that down. God's going to use me anyway. So I encourage you to ask these three questions to your spouse or maybe even your parents. Just kind of talk about family a little bit. How do I manage conflict in my family? Have I modeled forgiveness and restoration for generations to come so that they see that and we can do better? And do my actions show that God is first or that I am first? Church, will you pray with me over our families today? God, we thank you for this time to learn about your people, God. Your people and all of their crazy stories and all of those plot twists and just their lives speak to us. I thank you that, that you just gave such raw emotion. All the way in the beginning of Genesis, you showed these real people and their struggles so that, that we could look back and we could learn. God, we're comforted by your word, Lord, that shows us strong characters like Esau and his forgiveness and Joseph and his forgiveness, God. I pray that we'll become like that. I pray that we will adopt that healthy conflict in our family. I pray that we will become a family that models restoration and forgiveness. And God, I pray that we put you first. It can be just that easy to forgive when you're first, God, because you've got bigger plans. You want me to get over grudges. You want me to put it down. And maybe you want me to approach somebody. Maybe you want me to just clear some things up because it's going to feel so much better your way. It's going to feel so much better at Thanksgiving if that happens. So God, I pray over everybody here, Lord, that you would just bless their families, that you would bless generations to come. And thank you, God, for your son, Jesus.